Welcome to episode 185 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Why, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, <laughs> if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi, friends. Now, I know most of you are familiar with the power of protein to help us to recompose our bodies, get fitter and leaner by losing body fat and protecting and gaining muscle or lean body mass. Now, protein supplementation is one of the best ways to do it. It is scientifically validated to help us produce high quality weight loss. Now, when it comes to weight loss, traditionally, a lot of people will do high carb, low calorie diets, and those have been shown to generate upwards of 40 percent lean body mass loss. Now, protecting your lean body mass and your muscle is crucial when you are wanting to lose some fat because during weight loss, you don't want the weight lost to be coming from your muscle. The more muscle you're able to retain, the more you're retaining metabolically active tissue, which is going to keep your metabolic rate much higher and help you maintain the fat loss after you have achieved it. Now, one of the best ways, as I said, to do this is through using protein shakes. I've been on the lookout for years to find a high quality protein supplement that does not have fillers, dyes, artificial sweeteners, and using cheap protein concentrate, which can cause all kinds of issues like bloating and indigestion. I finally created a protein supplement that meets my standards, and it's something that I personally use every single day, and that is Tone Protein. Tone Protein not only is extremely clean and high quality with only whey protein isolate, no concentrates, no fillers, it is also scientifically formulated to optimize muscle protein synthesis, which is going to help you build lean body mass and muscle in the most efficient way possible. I am so incredibly excited about Tone Protein. Not only is it extremely high quality and optimized to help you recompose your body, it is also absolutely delicious. We've been having so much fun with all the different flavors that we are creating, and I just can't wait for you all to try it. Now, I wanted to create a special launch discount for all of you listeners so that you could check it out, try it out, see how you like it, and test it out for yourself. In order to receive that launch discount, you can head over to toneprotein.com and sign up with your name and email address, and you'll receive an email to double opt in to the list, and you'll be the first to know when Tone Protein is available to order, and you will also receive that exclusive launch discount. It is going to be the biggest discount that we ever offer on Tone Protein. So I really want all of you to be able to receive it. So be sure to go to 
toneprotein.com. Sign up with your name and email and you'll be double opted in to that list. And I am so excited for you all to try it out. Let me know what you think of it and let it help you to optimize your body recomposition goals, get that fat loss and maintain and protect your lean body mass while doing it. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 185 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I am fabulous, and I have a very exciting announcement. What is that? For people who can't get enough listening to me talk to you, (laughs) I'm starting a third podcast coming soon. 
I'll share more details later. What? Yep. I know you already knew I was working on that, but a third podcast with a friend of mine. For people who listen to intermittent fasting stories, Sherry Bullock, she was episode number nine. And she and I just really have hit it off and become friends. Like, we're friends. She and I just went to the beach last week. And a few weeks ago, she called me, and she's like, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start a podcast. And she and I were, you know, she was asking me for tips about starting a podcast. And she said what her vision was, and we were talking about it. It's not going to be an intermittent fasting podcast. It's not going to be about intermittent fasting at all. How dare you? I know. You know, I feel like now intermittent fasting is just a small part of me. I've got so many other parts of me. But in asking, you know, talking about giving her tips, she was like, and I'd like to bring people on, you know, what about a co-host? I've been thinking about, I don't know who it would be. Then all of a sudden my brain went ding, ding, ding. And I said, huh, what about me? (laughs) And she got really excited because she was not asking me to co-host, and I wasn't trying to, you know, horn in on her podcast idea, but she got really excited. I got really excited, and we just went to the beach for a few days, and we hammered it all out, and we started a Facebook group to kind of get everybody excited about it. A lot of it's going to be crowdsourced as far as, like, the topics we cover, and anyway, I'm really, really excited. That is very exciting. You're going to be a three-show woman. Well, I know. It's crazy. I guess, you know, my teachers from elementary school, middle and high school who said Jen talks too much, you know, who's laughing now? (laughs) But, you know, first of December, I'll share more information as it goes. But we're giving ourselves a, a couple months to really hammer out all the details. But it's really, really exciting. We're going to have a community structured around it. And we opened it up. We posted in the Facebook groups about it. And within 24 hours, we had 3,000 members in our community already. And they're all so excited. Because again, you know, we're all intermittent fasters. And a lot of people in the intermittent fasting community, when you've been doing it, it just becomes part of you. So you're like, all right, now I'm ready to talk about something else. Wait, so this community that you created, does it give away what the show is about? Or does it just say? Maybe. I'll share more later. I'm not quite ready yet. We're still very early, but I know some of the listeners are probably already in our our podcast community, but I think it's going to be fabulous. And as we were, you know, proving members and looking at how they answered the questions that we asked, you know, like, you know, why do you want to be in this community kind of a thing? What do you want to learn about? They are so aligned with our vision. It's going to be great. Exciting. 2021. I know. Well, it's starting in 2020, but yes, 2021 is when it's really going to get going. So I'm just really excited. It's very exciting. And I'm never going to stop the intermittent fasting communities for anybody who may be worried. (laughs) I'm not going anywhere, but it's just nice to branch out a little bit. That's probably how you feel on the biohacking podcast. You get to talk about other interesting topics. Yeah. Like, I feel like that show really satisfies all of my... (laughs) my desires to like reach out on like you just said different topics so i'm not like just in the intermittent fasting world and probably this won't surprise anyone but ours is not going to be biohacking it's going to be more like life hacks things you want to know about like for example you know what do you want to when you want to go buy a car i mean just general types of things you know what do you do when you're an empty nester We're going to have inspirational stories, lots of little segments in there where we collect stories about life. It's going to be really different. It's not just going to be like one topic that we talk about for an hour. It's going to have lots of little different things in there. So it's exciting. I know. I can't wait. Anyway, so what's up with you? 
Well, speaking of my other show, which is the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast, I do this thing. I probably said this before. I do this thing where I have guests booked, you know, for a certain amount of time, like out in the calendar. And then I'll start stressing. I'm like, Oh, what if I run out of guests? So then I'll like massively email like 10 or 15 people. And then like half of them answer and say they want to come on. And then I get really stressed because I'm like, Oh my goodness, I have so many more shows to prep now. So I did that. I have a lot of really exciting guests coming on, including one of them who Jen already knows, but Dr. Fung. I am so excited. Very exciting. It's very kind of weird that we haven't talked to him before. Either of us, you know, because well, you haven't, right? Have you ever talked to him? No, I haven't. I've never talked to him. I feel like I've been running along, but, you know, I'm sure. Yeah, I remember several years ago, even right after Delano and I came out, maybe at some point in 2017, I was talking to my sister, you know, as my communities were getting bigger and as my book was selling pretty well. And I said, I wonder if Dr. Fung knows who I am. She's like, oh, he knows. (laughs) Just like kind of how we know of everybody. I mean, I can't imagine that no one's ever walked into his office and said, I read Delano and I. I mean, surely. You know, and like as I look at the, you know the weight loss diets category on Amazon, fast feast repeat is usually right next to the obesity code. Like they've been one and two every day. Yeah. So I mean, unless he never looks at Amazon. Oh, can I tell you something that's also it's hilarious but a little sad. Yeah. There's a new book on Amazon, and it's called Fast Feast Repeat, and it has Delayed on Deny also in the subtitle, and it was written by Dr. Jen Herring. Oh, my gosh. That's ridiculous. I know. I would really like to meet Dr. Jen Herring because she sounds amazing, and her title is so very similar to mine, and it has 81 five-star reviews, and one of them said that they've read all of my books and they love them. All of your books? Yeah, uh-huh, mine, my, me. So, uh, people, <laughs> do not buy Fast Feast Repeat written by Dr. Jen Herring because that is a fake person, <laughs> and that is not my book. So I've I've emailed my publisher. Hopefully they can get that one taken down. But clearly, I mean, it's, it's ranked in the top 100,000 of all books on Amazon, which means somebody's buying it. Right. It's insane. It is insane. Amazon should really do a better job because they know that that is nothing but a copycat. They should know. You would think that, you know, with the way you publish, self-publish on Amazon with Kindle Direct Publishing, it has to go through like a process and then it gets approved. They need to put like human eyeballs on those books and say, is this a copycat of a book that's already out there with the name that's almost exactly the same as the real author? Yeah. Because there are a lot of people, that is their entire business model, is making books that are almost like a real book, and the name of the author is clearly not real because it's all, like there was one book called Fast Feast Repeat, the cookbook, written by Stephen Jen. Oh, my goodness. I know. I feel like Amazon should be able to notice that's not really a real book and that it's just there to trick people. Amazon, I'm counting on you. You can clean this up. I love you, but you're going to have to do a little better. That's all I have to say. I have an exciting announcement that I realized we never announced. Ooh, what is that? I'm like really upset. We like implemented this, but then we never actually told the listeners. Oh my God. What is it? What? You might not even know. (laughs) I might not know. Our episode show notes have transcripts. 
oh, I knew that we were doing it. Like I saw it through emails when they're sending them, but I didn't know that it was like. Yeah. So I'm going to start saying that. <laughs> when you go to the show notes for today's episode, I have podcast.com slash episode 185. There are transcripts. Awesome. So if you missed something, I guess people who can't hear would not be listening to this right now, but we did get requests from people who are deaf. So now they can read it. And yeah. Well, I'm so glad. Yep. All right. Well, are we ready to get started? The first question is a very important one, a doozy. And oh my God, I've been so angry about this whole thing. So like literally angry. Go ahead. Read it. Okay. (laughs) So our first question comes from Megan. The subject is treat clinical trial. And Megan says, Hello, ladies. I appreciate your podcast and thorough research and explanations. Can you guys please review and comment on the TREAT clinical trial of intermittent fasting? They found no weight loss in 12 weeks with overweight and obese patients. I'd love your thoughts. All right. Yeah, I'd be glad to talk about that. First of all, I'm so proud of my community because I posted an announcement about this the day after it came out, and the comment section was just beautiful. So bravo to all of you in the community. They get it. They understand it. They understand what was wrong with this with this study. And the it's not that there's necessarily something wrong with the study, although I, you know, I definitely have some thoughts about that, but it's the conclusion that made me angry. Okay. Let me read it. Okay. This name of the study is Effects of time-restricted, I'm sure everybody's probably seen the headlines, but the name of the study, Effects of Time-Restricted Eating on Weight Loss and Other Metabolic Parameters in Women and Men with Overweight and Obesity, the TREAT Randomized Clinical Trial. Now, I'm not going to tell you anything about the study other than let me read the conclusion to you. If all you read was the title and the conclusion is what I'm trying to get across. Okay, so the title, you got what that is. The conclusion is time-restricted eating in the absence of other interventions is not more effective in weight loss than eating throughout the day. I see red every time I read that. That is one sentence. Okay, now, why is this so frustrating? That's when we need to talk about what did they actually do. Basically, they put people into two groups Okay, and one group for 12 weeks, these were people, men and women, 18 to 64 years old, who had a BMI from 27 to 43. So it's really important to know also that these people were overweight or obese. Every person was overweight or obese. And they put them in two groups. One group was told to eat three structured meals a day, and the other group was told to do 16 8 eating whatever they wanted ad libitum is scientific words for that eat however you want from noon till 8 p.m. so the one group was told eat 3 meals a day and the other group was told eat whatever you want in an 8 hour eating window and the 3 meal a day group could have snacking they could also have snacks if they want yes but Also, of course, they were not clean fasting. The group that was fasting was not fasting clean, but that's a whole other wrinkle. And so I'm not even going to get into that right now. But they did 16-8. The participants were overweight and obese, and they did 16-8. 
And so I think the conclusion should be time-restricted eating with a 16-8 approach in the absence of other interventions is not more effective in weight loss than eating throughout the day. But you know what? I said that in Fast Feast Repeat. I have a whole section where I talk about different eating windows. And in that section, I say 16-8 is not enough fasting for weight loss for most of us. I mean, it's the approach my husband, who is thin and didn't need to lose weight, it's what he does. So I am so irate that they used a study of 16-8 and then generalized it to, oh, time-restricted eating doesn't work, because that is ridiculous. You know, we've got Krista Veraday's research that she did earlier this year, and I guess the media can't um, remember that they just reported about this one in June. And Krista Veraday, who is a well-respected intermittent fasting researcher, or actually it was July, she found that there was weight loss in a four-hour or six-hour eating window. So the part that's so frustrating is we've been saying a lot from the beginning all along based on what we see with people who are intermittent fasters that eight hours may not be a short enough eating window. 16 hours may not be enough fasting. You're not going to flip that metabolic switch, a lot of people. And so it's just been very frustrating to see the media. We're like, well, it just showed intermittent fasting doesn't work. That's not what it showed at all. All right. That's my ranting. You know what else is interesting? What? It's also interesting that both groups lost weight. Yeah, exactly. And actually, they did lose more. The eight-hour eating window group did lose more but it wasn't statistically significant. So there is that little feature as well. But, you know, we often see that with people that are overweight and obese, it can take their bodies longer to adjust to intermittent fasting. We know that if you're overweight and obese, you probably have higher fasting insulin levels. So it's going to take more time for that to correct. I mean, there's so many variables here. But the way that the media just gleefully said, oh, look, intermittent fasting doesn't work. Forget about the fact that just, you know, two months ago, we had a study that showed it did. (laughs) Anyway, but then people were freaking out. And I I did just say how my community was, was overall fabulous, but a few people tried to post like, oh my God, it doesn't work. And I'm like, She's like, I've lost, you know, 40 pounds, but I just saw a study that said it doesn't work. Well, clearly it worked if you lost 40 pounds. So we got to we gotta really think about this. No one told my body intermittent fasting didn't work when I lost 80 pounds. Yeah. And the thing is, I do find the, like, the response that's been so passionate and, like, fearful in a way. I mean, I can't make objective statements, but I don't really ever see myself becoming fearful or freaking out from a study. You know, like it's it's just information. One of the things that freaked people out was that they had a little muscle mass loss. Oh, actually, yeah, we should talk about that. But here's here's my thought there. First of all, they were not fasting clean because they were allowed to drink zero-calorie beverages, so I'm assuming they had diet sodas. I don't even really know. They even said, for example, only 83% of the, the fasting group even was compliant, so I don't even know what that means. Maybe only 83% even did it, and it was self-reported, so maybe the compliance was even worse than that. We don't know, but they were not fasting clean. They were not fasting clean, and they were very likely not fat-adapted. 
So the whole magic, you know, what Dr. Mark Matson always talks about in his work for, you know, the New England Journal of Medicine and his research, you know, flipping that metabolic switch and becoming fat adapted is key. If you want to tap into fat stores, you know, that's that's part of the the metabolic magic is is that being fat adapted. I was really shocked actually by the the muscle mass loss because yeah, that was what they found was that the weight loss did seem to be mostly from muscle. And can I tell you, a friend of mine actually emailed Mark Matson. I did not. I'm scared to reach out to him because I'm such a fan. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. This is hysterical. I don't know because I just feel like I'm reaching out to like everybody all the time. I just love Mark Matson so much. Anyway, but my friend, she's a moderator in my group, sent him an email, and he replied. Do you want to know what he said? Maybe I should email him. What did he say? The two major flaws in the JAMA study were that they did not determine calorie intake or diet composition, and they did not track exercise levels. His point, I guess, being that the two groups were so different. Yeah. You know, maybe the eight-hour people were actually eating more, and therefore it was kind of amazing that they— you know what I'm saying? We don't know. They might have eaten more food in eight hours. We don't know, but they could have been eating twice the amount and have comparable. So let's say that was the case. This is just hypothetical, but just to play a story game. Like if they were eating way more, but lost the same or even more, you would have a completely different conclusion sentence. I mean, you, you could, you could. You surely would, but we don't know because we don't know what they ate. So really, if they had controlled, if they had matched the groups controlled for calories or given the, the exact same amount of food, just eating in a different pattern, then you would know. Basically, this study shows that if you tell people, eat whatever you want for eight hours, you're not likely to lose weight. But I learned that when I read the eight-hour diet that promised you could, and I didn't. So I mean, it didn't work for me. So just to say that again, in case people, you know, I really think this study showed that telling people to eat whatever you want for eight hours is not good for weight loss. That's all it showed. My version of this study would be like, add in another factor, like eat only whole foods or something and see what happens. I've had James Clement on my show. He wrote a book called The Switch. I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes, but he's really big in this world. And I asked him his thoughts and he said, basically something similar to what you just said. Like you can't just necessarily eat whatever you want for, you know, this amount of time and expect weight loss. Like, although they did lose a little weight, they did lose a little, but we really, they could have been eating twice as much as the other people. And we just don't know. That would have been a great study if we knew what they were eating. Of course, self-reporting is always hard, but if they gave them like, here's the food you're all going to eat, like match them in a different way. needs The variables were not very controlled. What I want to know is how they did determine estimated energy intake because they did. So they do talk about, it's weird, they estimated the energy intake. So they said at the end, they have a section called strengths and limitations. And they say that a limitation is we do not have self-reported measures of energy or macronutrient intake. Although we did not measure calorie intake, mathematical modeling of changes in energy intake suggests that calorie intake did not significantly differ between groups. This model has been validated to be more accurate than self-reported energy intake. I need to like look into this. What? I don't even know what that is. We didn't count calories, but we used this other method to estimate. I don't know. That's weird. The studies that are linked to for that are ones called objective versus self-reported energy intake changes during low-carb and low-fat diets. And the second one is 
validation of an inexpensive and accurate mathematical method to measure long-term changes in free living energy intake. Listeners, I apologize that I haven't read those yet. I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to report back on this. That's interesting. I want to know what this magical mathematical model is that's more valuable than self-reporting. I know that mathematically knows what how much you're eating. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like very intrigued right now. It's like Santa Claus. Is it riding a unicorn? I don't know. <laughs> All right. Now, can I also tell you one of the conflicts of interest? Uh-huh. One of the scientists that was on this is a co-founder and equity stakeholder of a company that's keto. It's a keto company. They sell a breath analyzer for keto and also lots of keto snacks. Yeah. They would have a lot of interest if they're selling you snacks, that they would have an interest in wanting you to not fast because they want to sell you keto snacks. I just thought that was interesting. I didn't even notice that. It was somebody in my group that noticed it, that they had that conflict. Oh, and another one of them also, two of them have connections to that keto group, the keto company. I just think that's interesting. I want to know if, because I read a lot of the coverages of this, like the articles about it, and there have been some interviews with the main guy. They make it sound like he says he's stopping intermittent fasting from what he found, but I want to know if they like kind of twisted his words. The way they posited it, I could see how maybe they did, but I'm not sure. I don't know. This is just me. Well, how they twisted it? Yeah. I mean, I can tell you right now, I am 51 years old. I am menopausal, by the way. I'm on the other side. I'm officially there. I'm officially in menopause. I don't even know what words to use. I'm not sure how to say it. But, and I, you know, I don't have muscle measurement prior to use, starting intermittent fasting when I was obese versus now, but I'm not sitting here with lack of muscle. I mean, I've been doing intermittent fasting since 2014, and I'm not sitting here, this emaciated, muscleless old lady. In fact, my shape of scale that you stand on every morning that I talked about in another episode estimates my age based on my body composition alone as 31. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm 51. My shape of scale this morning said my shape of age based on my body composition is 31. So does that sound like... I want to get the shape of scale. Oh my God, I love it so much. Go to jenstevens.com, favorite things tab, everybody. There's a promo code there. It's IF Stories. I love getting on this scale. I just went to the beach, like I said. And you know, you come back from vacation and you probably you'd ate out several times. I got on the scale anyway. I didn't care because I can't see the number. I just got on got off because it's just, I don't have to be tied to a number. It's very exciting. I just see my color, but my age, my age was 30 before I went to the beach and now it's 31. (laughs) That is funny. So I probably have a little water retention, but it doesn't matter. I'm not upset about it. But, you know, I am not sitting here like this crazy, muscleless 51-year-old person. (laughs) Anyway, I know I'm just one person, but... I don't also have an eight-hour eating window day after day after day and drinking my zero-calorie sodas. I don't. I drink black coffee. I drink plain water. I fast clean. I have a four-ish, five-ish hour eating window. It works great. 
Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous and they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. Megan also says, in general, how do you guys respond in your personal lives when someone uses studies like this to, quote, tell you IF is wrong, just trying to prepare myself? I think the key is in really understanding what the study was. Because when I first saw the headlines, and the first person sent me the article saying intermittent fasting doesn't work. <laughs> okay, first of all, you know, we have hundreds of thousands of people that would say the otherwise. But I couldn't wait to get my my eyes on the actual study. And then when I read it, I was like, well, okay, I'm not surprised at all that they found that out. In fact, if you had said to me, hey, Jen, let me tell you this study design, what do you think they'll find? I would have 
you know, not been surprised at that. I would actually really love to work with some scientists. I mean, I have a doctorate in gifted education. I know about research design, and I also have a lot of practical experience with intermittent fasters, hundreds of thousands of them. I would love to help someone design a study at a, you know, at a research institute, work with them as a you know consultant for free. I would just love to do it, help design this study, a study with clean fasting, a study that they, you know, we can really give them a long period of time. Let's control those variables. I mean, I, I know how to control variables. My elementary science lab background, you know, I have a master's degree in science education for kids. I did the science fair with kids for years and years and years. Elementary kids know how to control variables better than some of the research studies I've read. I still think I have the most brilliant idea for an intermittent fasting study. <laughs> I'm waiting for them to do it. I think I've said it before. I think it would be a way to completely get rid of, like, the placebo effect. You have to take a pill. Like you think the study is about the pill and the like qualifications of the pill is it can't be taken with food. And the way it's set up is it'll force you into a window without realizing it. So like you'll be taking pills at certain times and it'll force you into a window. You think they're testing the pill, but really they're testing fasting. That's a great idea. Isn't it? And I also think you should have one more group that doesn't take the pill that to see if those two groups have any differences. One group that fasts with the pill, one group that fasts without the pill, and then the other group. A group that knows they're fasting? Yeah. But without the pill? Because the pill is also a variable. See, that's the thing. That's the, that's the tricky part with people. The pill is also a variable, even though you're doing it because, you know, maybe the pill's affecting them some way. Yeah, because the way I was thinking, it would be like two groups and a control group. But the two groups taking the pill, like one group, because of the timing of when they have to take it, it forces them into an eating window. Then the other group, yeah, the other group, it doesn't. But what if the pill itself affects their fast somehow? That's always a thing. Right. That's why I would have a group that didn't take the pill just to see. Yeah. I think it would be a really cool study, though. Well, anyway, it's just so frustrating to me. You know, I, I have a list serve that I'm on. Is that what it's called? I don't even know where I get email. It's like an email summary of obesity. It's like obesity and something, something, whatever. And it's all the studies that relate to obesity and, and weight loss in any way, shape, or form. And they have a section that's study versus headline. Oh, I like that. Oh, yeah. I, I should find, let me find one and I'll share it with you because it's hilarious. But study versus headline are so funny because really the reports, here it is, obesity and energetics offerings is the name of it. Okay, so headline versus study. All right, here's a study. Vitamin D deficiency serves as a precursor to stunted growth and central adiposity. Is that how you say it? In zebrafish. <laughs> In zebrafish. Okay, <laughs> that was important. The headline was, vitamin D deficiency can lead to obesity. Oh, my gosh. Okay, there's one example. All right, let me read another one. That's ridiculous. I know. Headline versus study. Study. Perceived change in physical activity levels and mental health during COVID-19. Findings among adult twin pairs. Headline. Researchers perplexed. COVID-19 stress may be hard to beat, even with exercise. I'd have to read that study. Here's another one. Study. REM sleep stabilizes hypothalamic, I'm sure I said that wrong, representation of feeding behavior in mice. 
Headline, REM sleep affects our eating habits. Yeah. They just overgeneralize, and the way they've portrayed this study is just maddening. And, you know, I also saw, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that Jason Fung also responded to you about it, and he's not a fan of the study either, right? Yeah, it was perfect timing because I had literally just booked him for or talking to him about booking him for the show. And so I was like, I hope you're surviving <laughs> the treat study. And he said clearly something about like, that's what happens when you have people who have never. With no clinical experience with intermittent fasting. Yeah, try to design a fasting study. That's why I think that I'd be really good at helping a scientist design a fasting study because we really have a lot of, you know, anecdotal of what's worked and what hasn't and what people have tweaked and what has led to success versus when they weren't finding success. So I know that what we have is not hard science, but it's it's absolutely valuable. It should not be discounted just because we're real people in a group. We're people who are trying and we know what things are working. And it's often not 16-8. I mean, <laughs> that's why I said that in, in Fast Feast Repeat. You know, you may really love 16-8 because people sell it as like easy, right? You know, if only it was just that easy. Just do a 16-8. You're going to lose weight. It's going to be fabulous. Eat whatever you want. Except that's not what happens. I think it could actually make you a million times worse, potentially, if you are doing 16-8, seeing it as like this binge fast, eat all you want. And then if you're eating (laughs) things that are close to my heart, like high seed oils, high, you know, fats that are wrecking you metabolically, if you're just going to town on those during this time, I mean, I just think it can make things worse. I think eating terribly for eight hours and fasting for 16 could be more detrimental than eating a healthy diet within a more standard, you know, like a 12-hour period. If I had to choose between those two, 100%. Yeah. So a lot of frustration in the intermittent fasting world. Hopefully, the attention span will be short. There'll be something shiny for them to talk about next. And, you know, maybe another good study will come out. But again, replying to Megan, I'm not sure I really answered her question. How do you respond when someone uses studies like this to tell you IF is wrong? You need to be really aware of what the study actually did. Go to the study. Don't just read, you know, what the media tells you about the study. Read the study. And then if you're educated, you can start picking out the flaws. You know, I've mentioned this before. I read a study one time. I read, you know, sections of it to fourth graders who were able to find the flaw in the control. You know, it was one group that was eating low carb and one group that was eating low fat, but that group was allowed to eat. I mean, it, it was ridiculous. It didn't show anything. And the kids are like, they didn't control that variable. I'm like, yeah, but they use this to prove something. Anyway, so do your research. And also, if you know it's working for you and you feel better, trust that. I trust my body. My body loves this. You can find a study to pretty much say anything. <laughs> About anything you're doing, and probably it'll say it's right or it's wrong. It's true. When it comes to food, at least. It's true. Yeah, I just think don't have, like, this is what I said earlier, I don't have any fear about studies. I literally have zero fear. Zero. Because, like, if you think about it logically, if the reason it's so terrifying is because it was poorly constructed, or it's not making the right conclusions, or it wasn't, you know, if there's a reason then it doesn't matter. Like, then there's no reason to have fear. If it does show something, okay, there's something to learn from that. Like, there's no reason to be scared. Like, I don't think we should ever be scared of knowledge or like questioning or like looking at new information. 
and this is not a good example because we just talked about how, you know, this study is more an example of the first situation where it's not even something to be scared of. You go back to that conclusion. Let me read this again, listeners. The conclusion was time-restricted eating in the absence of other interventions is not more effective in weight loss than eating throughout the day. And I would just like to say, how many times have we tried weight loss eating throughout the day? And, and we were able to lose weight, but were we able to keep it off? Like for me, I lost weight a hundred different ways. And never one time in my life did I keep it off until time-restricted eating. So, you know, so many flaws in that conclusion. And I never, I mean, actually, you know, maybe 12 weeks of a low-calorie diet where I was eating throughout the day, maybe I would have lost more weight than with time-restricted eating. I don't know. But there's more to it than just head-to-head, which one makes you lose more weight. You know, talk to me after you've been doing it for four years and your fasting insulin levels are normalized and your A1C is normalized. And and that's really important. Yep, exactly. Don't have fear. Don't have fear. Because if you have fear, that's the other thing. If you have fear, you're not going to want to... I I don't think we should be scared of looking at anything, (laughs) even if it's wrong. Don't have fear. There's no reason not to. And to her question about you know, how do you respond? Jen just said it really well. You know, you can talk about what the study actually showed, you know, what we do know, personal experience, and all of the myriad of other studies that show the complete opposite. So there's so much research. Yep. All right. Moving on to a question from Jeff. I knew that was going to be like most of our episode today. I knew it was too. (laughs) It was important. And I'm sure it made a lot of people out there go, ha ha, told you so, intermittent fasting doesn't work. I mean, no. <laughs> yeah, the next question kind of ties into this as well. I also find, Melanie, that what's so interesting whenever I'm talking to people and they're like, well, I tried intermittent fasting and it didn't work for me. Whenever I'm having that conversation with someone, they were not fasting clean. I mean, 100% of the time. I'm like, well, what did you drink? They're like, well, I would start my day with, you know, coffee with, you know, butter and coconut oil. And then I would have diet sodas. And then I would have, you know, a Gatorade Zero. And I'm like, all right, well, I bet you were starving all the time, weren't you? Yeah. And they're like, yeah. (laughs) I'm like, well, let me tell you why. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get an exclusive discount on one of my favorite products for truly upgrading your health on a cellular level. So the new year is upon us, and it's often a time where people are really trying to instill new habits and really upgrade their health. There's something I have been using for years, not just at the new year, literally every single day of my life. I am not making that up. Even when I travel, I have a way to address it then, which I will tell you about. And it's something that is so easy and feels amazing. That is red light and near-infrared therapy. Okay, so friends, you could go somewhere and pay a lot of money to do red light near-infrared therapy sessions, or you could just bring it to your home and use it every single day. That's what I do. I've been using Juve red and near-infrared light therapy devices for so long. There are so many clinically proven benefits of red light therapy. That includes improving your skin. Yes, you really will notice it. Faster muscle recovery, reduced pain and inflammation, 
enhanced sleep, and so much more. I use it in the morning and evening as ambient light because it actually mimics the setting and rising sun. And then I sort of run it throughout the day as well to help combat all of the blue light that we're exposed to, which can have a negative effect on our health. Whenever I have muscle pain, I shine Juve on the muscle. For me, it has made the pain go away instantly. And then for chronic pain, when I do continued sessions, it's made it dissipate. One of my good friends who is a doctor uses these devices on his, shall we say, manhood for benefits there. Yes, it can help in that department as well. I honestly could not imagine my life without Juve. You will just feel so good using these devices. People also post all the time in our Facebook group of their pets gravitating towards the Juve because intuitively they just know that it's good for them. The reason Juve can address so many things related to health is because it actually affects our cells on the mitochondrial level. Basically, it makes those cells perform better. And when those cells are performing better, everything just works better. That's why, yes, Juve can help with your energy as well. I've been recommending Juve specifically for years because the quality of their devices are the best. Their modular design allows for a variety of setup options to give you flexibility. The treatments are so easy. You can do them in as little as 10 minutes, or you can be using it all throughout the day like I do. All you have to do is relax and let your body take in the light. They also have their Juve Go, which you can travel with. Yes, that is how I really do use this every single day. That Go is also great for targeting specific areas of your body, like hurting joints or sore muscles. Honestly, friends, health doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be complicated. If you're looking to enhance your health and wellness this new year, start with what matters, which is your cells. And Juve has an amazing offer just for our audience. You can go to juve.com slash ifpodcast and use the coupon code ifpodcast to get a discount on your qualifying order. Again, that's j-o-o-v-v.com forward slash ifpodcast to get an exclusive discount on your order. Pick up Juve today. Some exclusions apply. I really hope you guys can experience Juve. It really is one of my favorite things. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. We have a question from Jeff. The subject is early is better, question mark. He said, I listened to Dr. Greger on Nutrition Facts. He says that eating your calories earlier is better given circadian rhythm and all that. So I try, and my window is 11 to 7. I snack from 11, kind of on healthy snacks, and then supper time, I pretty much eat what I want, but not too heavy. And then if I stop eating after 7, I know I'll go to bed with a light belly, and all is good. Question I have is, do you see value in Dr. Greger's advice? And would you consider sharing that with your listeners? Because of circadian rhythm, our bodies metabolize calories differently during the day than overnight. And that is um, Dr. Greger's theory. That's just me saying that. The last part, Jeff wrote it, but he was summarizing Dr. Greger's theory. Actually, I'm glad we had this question too, because it was one other thing to clarify from the TREAT study that we didn't mention was, I think it's so interesting people's perception of early versus late because in the study that we just talked about, their window was 12 to 8, and they were considering that a late window because one of the things that they talked about in the end was saying that maybe if it had been an earlier window, so like a breakfast-lunch situation, that the results might have been different, which is interesting. I, I feel like they probably – I don't know if they would have been different. For me, it would have been harder to stay compliant. I wonder if they'd have seen their compliance numbers go down from 80. I mean, 83% is not a huge compliance amount. The reason they said that they wanted to do 12 to 8 was they thought people would be more compliant because it was easier to skip breakfast than, yeah, skip dinner. But I just thought it was also interesting because Jeff Jeff is doing a very similar window. He's doing 11 to 7 instead of 12 to 8, but he's considering that an early window, you know? 
Yeah, that is true. Good point. And for me, that would be an early window. <laughs> me too. I'm not hungry at 11. I can't even sing when I eat because people would freak out. It's two o'clock and I'm not even hungry. <laughs> 11 is like so early to me though. I know. It really is. Yes, we've talked about this a little bit before. The main takeaways or the basic idea here, at least, and this is just my opinion, but there is a lot of research looking at early versus late night eating. A lot of that research has people still eating though throughout the whole day. So what happens is, you know, by the time evening comes, they have eaten earlier. So it's not like they were fasting and then ate, you know, in the evening. It's usually, it's just more weighted towards one side. Can I clarify what you're saying, case listeners? I know exactly what you mean. What you're saying is some of these studies show that later in the day, insulin sensitivity is worse, but they've been eating all day. So it might have to do with the length of the time period that they were eating. If you eat for 12 hours, 14 hours in a row, later in that eating day, your insulin sensitivity is wrong. And it's not time of day that's the problem. The problem is that you've been eating all day. Right. Because- When you've been fasting, you're pretty insulin sensitive. So like if you're fasting all day and then you have a late eating time, you're probably going to be insulin sensitive. The times you're not insulin sensitive is if you've also been eating earlier. We really need a study with the early window and a late window with all other variables being equal, which is what we don't have. Like a really good study with the, there's like some study, there is one that I've read and they did do that and, but it was very short. And they found no difference. I did find one, and I think it's when we talked about it on the show before. And it actually did, I'd have to revisit it, but it it was controlled. And it did look at this, and it did seem to find that early was better. Is that the one, though, where they ate longer in the late one? It was the one with shift workers. And they were trying to figure out if insulin and all of that was... Was it adapting to like the pattern of the eating or was it literally from like the circadian rhythm, like of the world? (laughs) And it seemed to be from the circadian rhythm. Like at the beginning, it would like adapt differently to the person. Were they eating like in the middle of the night? Yeah. See, that's a whole different variable also. It's been a while since I read it. That is a completely different variable that doesn't show, to me, doesn't show anything because we know that shift work itself is is an issue like having your you know your waking and your sleeping at different times so that there's more than just the eating is at a different time right that yeah i don't think i would draw any conclusions from from that these are my personal thoughts and this is not like based on any one study this is just because we don't have one <laughs> we don't have a good one this is just based on like the collective literature that i've read to date including a lot of dr gregor's work which i have talked about this before I love reading his books because I get exposed to so many studies because he footnotes like every other sentence that said, (laughs) now Jen was getting upset in the beginning. Now it's my turn to get upset. Get upset. Get upset. (laughs) That said, the overwhelming amount of cherry picking that I perceive that he does and misrepresentation of studies is very upsetting. And I think because he cites so many studies so constantly, he comes off as very authoritative and very like, oh, he knows what he's talking about because he just like 
quoted the entirety of scientific literature and has references to it. And I think a lot of people just like take that at face value rather than going and looking and seeing what he's citing. A lot of it is spot on. Some of it is not spot on. Some of it's completely misinterpreted. But the main thing is he really, really just pulls the studies to support his primarily plant-based paradigm. Doesn't represent the rest of the literature, in my opinion. And I'm saying that as, as in kind of a way as I can, but that's just fine. I don't know how to say that. That's the sense I get. The final thought is he also tries to make it very clear that he doesn't cherry pick. Like he says that all the time. So it's a little bit frustrating. That said, from everything that I've read and seen, I actually do think, I don't know because the study hasn't been done, but I actually do think if everything was controlled, I actually think it would be better for people eating earlier rather than later. I do. And by better, you mean better with your physiology? Metabolically, yeah. I think it would probably be better for insulin, hormones, and sleep. And yeah. See, I can't sleep when I have an early window. I absolutely can't sleep when I have an early window. Have you ever tried it? Have you tried having an early window? Yeah, it's always an epic fail, which brings me to my my second point. But were you able to sleep? The reason I do think so is the best sleep I ever have is on those days when for some reason I'm, I mean, true, it's usually because I'm like sleep deprived, so I need a nap. But it's like when I take a nap and I'm in the fasted state, there's just like something, I I don't know. I, I, I feel like if I could fall asleep in the fasted state, and I don't mean like severely fasted, but I don't know. I think if I the body could be not digesting during these precious sleep regulating or like during the part of our sleep where we're supposed to be doing repair and all this stuff and not completely in the fed state, I think it would probably be more beneficial. I just personally, it's what you just said. Like I can't really sleep on an empty stomach. The second part of all this was, (laughs) while I think in theory, if you could magically like force yourself into an early window versus a later window, while I think the early window would probably be better I think practically a large percent of people, the way they can implement it and stick to it and keep to the eating window and get the benefits and sleep and do all these things is with a later eating window. And I think that practicality of it far, far, far outweighs any like hypothetical concept of having it in the morning versus the evening. Yeah. And it's all theoretical again. I've yet to see a long-term, well-designed study with all variables that were controlled and they weren't eating in the middle of the night as the shift workers were because that's a whole extra variable. I've yet to see one that was well-designed and long-term. The one really short one that we have, they found no difference. I'll have to double-check that one because I don't really remember the details. Okay. But all this to say, I know people personally, one of my moderator friends, She has a breakfast eating window. She wakes up. She eats breakfast. She closes her window by 11 or 12, and she feels best that way. She sleeps better when she does that. That 100% works better for her body. And so that's the thing. Just because Melanie and I do better with a later window, and my window is shifted earlier than Melanie's. I've been opening my window lately more around two or three a lot of days. And since I'm not drinking right now, closing my window at dinner time, So no more after seven because I'm not like finishing up a glass of wine or anything. So instead of having a window that's more like 
four to nine, it's more like two to seven. And that's feeling really good for me right now. But I wouldn't call that an early window or a late window. It's just like a dinner hour. To me, it would be so early. (laughs) Yeah, see? That's so funny. We're all, which is a good example of how I'm like an extreme case scenario. Well, also how my, my window has shifted over time. And honestly, it was later because of wine. <laughs> it's my wine window. By the way, I'm sleeping so great. Sleeping so great. I had wine the other day. I had a couple glasses of wine and I didn't feel as well. I'm not going to never drink again, but. <sighs> I'm not going to never not drink again. Well, good. No, that's not true. I mean, I don't anticipate going completely sober for a year and a half. By sober, I mean like not drinking. I went to the beach last week and didn't drink the whole time I was there. And, you know, I had just as much fun. I worried about that because I thought back and, you know, from even when I was a child, you know, my mother and my watching of the adults with their cocktails and, you know, that's how they relaxed. That's how they had fun. Then I went to college and it just kind of became internalized. Like, oh, if we're having fun, if we're at the beach, if we're at a party, we got to have alcohol. That's what you do. So I was like, all right, well, this is the first time I ever in my entire life went to the beach with a friend and did not drink alcohol the whole time, which sounds crazy, but it's true. I mean, ever since I've been an adult, I mean, I was like 12 years old at the beach with a friend not drinking, but I mean, like as a grown up who legally can drink, I drove everywhere. I didn't have to take Uber. That was really nice. I just drove and at a restaurant, I got club soda with a splash of cranberry and some lime, and I felt like I was having a cocktail. I had just as much fun. I didn't feel like I missed a thing. It was very eye-opening. I just drank because I felt like I was what you did. And I also slept so much better at the beach. Anyway, (sighs) we're all so different. We really, really are. That's the point. You do great with the wine. I don't do as great. I still love it. I'm still going to have it here and there. But never, never again, like I, like as a day-to-day part of my life, I think. I think I can safely say that. I'm never going to have a daily glass of wine. And I think I probably will. Or like a quarter of a glass at least. I, I said this before, but to clarify, when I was went the year and a half, I actually was still having like a tablespoon of liquid wine. I just can't imagine having a tablespoon of wine. Like a sip. Just a sip. Kind of like as a medicine or something. Yeah, I get it. I just, I, I really love wine. I love it. If listeners do drink wine, drink the only wine I drink, which is dry farm wines. Dry farm wines. I'm a fan. It's the only wine I will drink from now on for the rest of my life. I can say that 100%. Because if I'm somewhere and they have like just standard wine, I'd rather drink zero. Nothing. I was thinking about this. I haven't been like, I don't know if bars are even open right now, but I haven't been out to like a bar. They are. Okay. Um, I haven't been out in that type of setting in quite a while. And now I'm like, what would I do if I... Caveat, they are where I am. Yeah, they are. They are here too, I think. Actually, there's one bar I really want to go to where I think they have some sort of like, they were the first one in Atlanta to have a, like an air COVID purifying system thing. Oh, that sounds good. I don't know like how that actually works, but I was like, oh, that sounds exciting. And Oh, yeah, we, I think we talked about this. And it's a speakeasy, which they don't have in Augusta. I don't know if we talked about that on the air or off the air. I think it was off the air. Yeah. <laughs> I had just as much fun having my club soda with a splash of cranberry. I felt like I was drinking a cocktail. 
and I had just as much fun. So it's a new chapter. The first time I go anywhere with my college friends and I'm like, I'm going to have club soda with cranberry, they're going to be like, what? <laughs> that is the nice thing, though. You can order that. And if you don't say that it's not a drink. I don't care if people think I'm drinking or not drinking or anything. You know, I'm going to... I. I want to feel good. That's what I've I've come to terms with. And so I feel better when I don't drink. And that's crazy to me because drinking has been part of my life. You know, 30 years I've been drinking legally. For listeners who do want to drink, you can go to tryfarmwines.com slash podcast and get a bottle for a penny. You sure can. And I highly recommend it. I highly recommend it. Me too. Even so. So... I'm definitely not anti-drinking or like anti-people who want to drink around me. But I didn't feel like I was missing out. That was the part that was crazy. You know, other people were drinking around me. My friend was drinking. We had another moderator friend that came down to and spent a night with us. There were three of us. You know, they both opened a bottle of cava. Like cava cava? Did they brew it? Well, like Spanish wine. Am I saying it wrong? C-A-V-A? Is it cava? I don't know. It's a Spanish sparkling wine. Yeah, I thought you were talking about. I thought you were talking about cava, cava, like the tea. Oh no, no, this was uh, uh-uh. this was Spanish, Spanish sparkling wine. Yeah, they were drinking Spanish sparkling white wine. They call it cava. Isn't that how they say it? Anyway, whatever, however they say it. I've only seen it written and ne- never heard anyone say it, as far as I know. But they were drinking it in champagne glasses right there in my condo, and I was like, I don't even want to have it. I'm going to drive us to dinner. I'll be fine. And I was like, I've never driven to dinner at the beach because we always are drinking. <laughs> it was it was very different. So anyway, I liked it. So good times. It is good times. We had a really good time. Well, for listeners, the show notes for today's episode will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 185. Those show notes will have transcripts. So definitely check that out. If you'd like to submit your own questions to the podcast, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. You can follow us on Instagram. We are ifpodcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, Jen is Jen Stevens. And I think that is it. Anything from you, Jen, before we go? No, I think that's it. All right. I will talk to you next week. All right. Talk to you then. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.